I want to welcome back Ambassador Donnie Ayalon to JBS. Now, one needs to realize Ambassador Ayalon is the diplomat's diplomat in Israel. Uh, he, of course, has a tremendous history of diplomacy, being ambassador of Israel to the United States in Washington, advisor, senior advisor to three prime ministers on foreign affairs. He is out there explaining to the world about Israel, what Israel is doing, why Israel is doing it, and the purpose of Israel's objectives. Not just now, by the way, not just in crisis, but during normal times, because Israel's case needs to be presented to the world. So there's no better person to ask questions about and with than Ambassador Daniel alone. So I want to thank uh, Ambassador for joining us at JBS. And I want to begin with a question which begins with a sine qua non. Sine qua non, for those in Latin, of course, means without which none, a absolute indispensable precondition. Israel will win. That's the beginning of this. So I'm asking this from the very outset. There is no doubt Israel will defeat Hamas. The question I need to ask you is how we define success. How would you define success in this particular idea, especially considering all the costs, the potential costs of human life, Israeli human life, soldiers, civilians, on both sides, of course? How does Israel define the concept of success here? Again, knowing full well that Israel will defeat Hamas, the sine qua non. Please. Yes, okay. So actually, uh, the definition is quite simple. Of course, the execution will be much more difficult, and I hope as many Israeli lives will be spared as our troops now in the south are preparing and gearing up for a ground operation. But success is nothing less than Hamas being eradicated from the face of the earth, just like the Nazis were back in 1945. So success here in Israel and the definition of success is the same way the Allied forces back in 1945 uh, defined success then against the Nazis, which was unconditional surrender. Now, I do not uh, have any illusions. Uh, Hamas uh, leaders are not going to come out of their bunkers and with their arms um, above their heads, just like Hitler did not. Uh, Hitler committed suicide with his own cronies uh, when he heard the footsteps of the Allied forces coming to the bunker. This will be the same case here. That means we will have to go and root out Hamas in their bunkers. They are hiding like rats in an underground uh, city, which they built under Gaza uh, to the detriment of their own population. Now, once we have Hamas out as a military entity, as a political entity, I would say as an idea, then this will be success. If you recall the Nazis, uh, once they were defeated, uh, that was not the end of it. When the Allied forces occupied Germany, they started a long and grueling process of denazification to rebuild Germany from the start. And Germany today is a fine nation among uh, all the other European countries with Nazism 
outlawed, and the same thing is going to be in Gaza. We will have a process of dehamasization, and uh, as long as it will take, uh, we will do it. And this is my definition of success vis-a-vis -vis Hamas in Gaza. Excellent. So I want to continue, if I could, on the notion of denazification or dehamasization, a word that I haven't heard often, and I've started writing about it, and it's very important to speak about. The Allied forces took years in the process. I can't imagine that Israel has the wherewithal, not the patience, not the dedication, but simple the wherewithal to spend years focusing on, on Gaza to do this. Um, Again, not the, not, it's not an issue of desire. It's not an issue of goals or objectives. It's an issue of whether it can, can be done. And can it be done the way it was done in Europe, which was a, literally a process and also a re-educational process, which took place in denazification also, which was very, very important. Please. Yeah, well, th this was a great observation. And indeed, uh, it was not one nation who actually uh, oversaw the denazification of Germany. They were the mightiest countries of the world. So we will need also a coalition here, a strong coalition of like-minded countries, uh, whether it's European countries, the United States, and Arab, moderate Arab countries, uh, who are actually uh, at the mercy also of uh, the, the Islamic uh, jihadist movement, which Hamas is a part of it. And uh, so there's a lot of stake here for uh Egypt, for Jordan, for Saudi Arabia and the Abraham Accord uh, um, countries, for the King of Morocco. Uh, so I believe that if there is leadership, if we can really calculate our moves judiciously, uh, we can do it. And again, I don't think it should be Israel who is uh, overseeing everything. It should be some, as I mentioned, a multinational uh, body, not the UN, by the way. And um, Israel will have to uh, continue and supply security. But as far as the re-rooting uh, out all the nefarious and the poison of Hamas, whether it's in the education system in Gaza, uh, whether it's in the mosques of Gaza, all this will have to be done by moderate Islamist uh, uh, countries and movements. And I said, we will be in the periphery with the security and protection. Uh, and you're right, it will take years, but we have the time because we're not going anywhere. Right, I think it's important to talk about, and uh, I apologize because we're in the middle of a war in Israel, so I understand that. But if we don't think about the future, the next steps afterwards, we're going to be stuck in the same situation, we meaning the world, Israel and the world and the allies, the freedom-loving people of the world, of what happened in Iraq after the United States left, that it fell into an abyss. And so plan, I'm not saying that plans have to be absolutely determined, but we have to start thinking about this because there's no simple solution, and we're not going to be able to snap our fingers to resolve it. And it becomes important also in terms of understanding. Uh, the bigger issue that I have here is that those allies that you're speaking of are signatories to the genocide conventions, of course, and they're also uh, signatories to, um, to Resolution 1373, which of course outlaws any support for terror, uh, which I always tend to force people to remember that supporting terror actually means agreeing with it, not just paying money to it. And so we have some of the 
agencies that you're talking about and governments that you're talking about are actually have not condemned the terrorists themselves, even if they have condemned the incident, the massacre, which is also few and far between, you should note. So how can we depend on them to be the backbone to create a new society in Gaza? Well, we may have to go into new organizations of like-minded countries. Uh, there have been some suggestions throughout the years after we saw the moral, uh, morally reprehensible um, UN uh, during the years, uh, and, and, and to have a maybe even a new organization which will go for the long run. Uh, we will have to have the budgets for it. We will have to be the uh, you know the structure, the organization and uh, the wherewithal. And I think this can be done. It's not going to be overnight, but it can be done because the, I would say that the, 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 the fate of the entire world is at stake. The line right now of the battle goes in Gaza, but basically what we see here that the entire world is under the threat of the global jihadists which are being spawned, inspired, financed, educated, um, uh, equipped with arms by the Ayatollahs in Iran. And behind Iran, we see China with a huge economic backing. And also we see Russia with a huge uh, military uh, and political backing. So the divide now is very clear. You have the democracies of the world, you have the Western countries, and all of them have a stake in us winning this war. This war is not an Israeli war. The war is every uh, democratic country's war. Yeah, I want to focus on this a little bit because I think it's important to, um, to dig into this a little deeper. Um, you are out there explaining the case of Israel. And many of the people you're going to, many of the places you're going to, are not necessarily friendly environments. Like, this is a friendly environment. <laughs> so many places are not friendly environments. And here's where I really need to ask you, because it requires it in order to move to the next stage that you're speaking about. There is a real challenge I have in explaining how it was that media around the world swallowed hook, line, and sinker the descriptions of Hamas with regard to the blowing up of a hospital in Gaza. Not only did they do that, I would place the responsibility of all the, all the tensions that are emerging right now in places and, and potentially deaths and damage and destruction and everything else at the feet of these journalists who presented, the media that presented a lie. But it's not just a lie. The lie presented to them was by murderers, rapists, massacrists, children, abusers of children, kidnappers. These are the people, and they took their word over the word of Israel. Not just that, call them Hamas, okay, call them Hamas, but let's describe who they are. And those were the people's message that was received and hence spread throughout the world. How do you confront that? Just, uh, just truth, by the way, doesn't help. It doesn't help. If it did, it would be an easy slam dunk. It doesn't help. How do you confront people that we're supposed to work with in the modern world in media to try to convince people that there's good versus evil? Well, my short answer to why there were people believing Hamas is very blunt, and it's anti-Semitism. They wanted to believe Hamas without even checking the facts. They were gloating at the fact that here, the Jews are the ones 
who are actually uh, acting like just like uh, the Hamas does. And they were not even checking the facts. By the way, today, after the entire picture has been discovered, uh, the intelligence, um, the French intelligence services have shown that actually only 50, less than 50 people were killed in this hospital in Gaza. And of course, they were killed by their own, um, their own bombing, their own uh, failed launch of their rocket. Uh, and everything is, is, is just pointing to that. Um, we also have uh, the evidence of uh, a recording two Hamas operatives uh, right after this uh, uh, bombing, this, this explosion in this hospital in Gaza, talking about that it was the Palestinian Islamic Jihad in a failed launch. So it is undeniable. And the fact that uh, they didn't even check before they were putting out this uh, Hamas uh, uh, version is, again, it's morally reprehensible and it's... Uh, uh, and, and some measures should be taken against those uh, uh, media outlets and specific uh, journalists. This is not journalism. This is uh, uh, just, um, I would say, this is a, a criminal, criminal reporting, what they did. Hopefully now more and more people understand what we're facing against. It's not just the lies of Hamas. It's also, the, the, again, the proof that they are using their own people as human shields, actually they are embedded and they're putting their launchers inside hospitals and mosques and schools, again, doing uh, or perpetrating a double war crime. They are targeting civilians on our side and they're using their own civilians for human shield. And um, evidently, and this is also important to note, so far uh, there have been about 500 failed launchings by Hamas. That means that these missiles fell on their heads in Gaza. They fell short of crossing the border towards Israel. Those almost 500 um, uh, missiles fell specifically on civilians. And, and, and of course, you have no word that uh, is explaining this in the international media, unfortunately. Yeah, it's very important to actually focus on, on this for another moment or two. Uh, I actually use the word rockets and not missiles because missiles have guidance systems and they're directed. Rockets do not, which means by their very definition, by their very definition, they land wherever they might land, which is in and of itself a form of terrorism and a war crime in and of itself. So I wanted to add that. And really right. we, we, call it, we call it a statistical weapon that is an indiscriminate weapon. Exactly. exactly. So they're targeting, let's say, Tel Aviv, and they don't care whether it falls on a hospital in Tel Aviv or a school, but they know it's going to fall on civilians, and this is what they target. You're absolutely right, and these are uh, rockets and not missiles. So what I want to do now is, if I could, I want to um, advance you into a problem that, that the diaspora community is really facing. And that is, and especially in your, in your world, is a, is a great explainer, the great explainer, I'll call you, the great explainer. Uh, we have grandparents, parents watching uh, JBS and watching shows and watching the news, and their children or grandchildren are in universities or uh, uh, out there, and are, many of them are on the sidelines. Many of the children are on the sidelines. They're either quiet, 
or they're afraid. They're afraid of being canceled. They're afraid of the repercussions of saying, we think Hamas is wrong and Israel is right. We think that what Hamas did was, was torturous and murderous and, and everything else. And, and not just now, by the way, in the past also, but that's a different issue. <laughs> this particular example is very important. And they're afraid to get up and stand up and defend. And they haven't necessarily been trained. And I don't know that they'll be able to be trained to do it. Why do we say, how would you help parents and grandparents help their children? Because these children have to be uh, 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 being eaten up from the inside. They know what's right and wrong. But they're afraid to stand up for it because all around them, there are protests. And it's not just at Harvard. It's in all of these universities, and it's on the streets, in all of these cities. What tools would you give them, or what inspiration would you say to parents and grandparents, to people listening to you and watching you, uh, students or not? <laughs> what, uh, what would you give them to, uh, to help them along the way? Sure, I would say, I know they, they, they know the truth, but I would say it takes a systematical and a, I would say, almost a, a government-type of solution and resolution. I would not put it on the individuals, you know, to solve the issues, because we are facing actually a, 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 a propaganda war machines that the Palestinians have been using against us now for five decades. The result, of course, is the brainwashing, especially of young people who do not know much, and this is why we have these problems in the campuses now. I can tell you now, after this massacre, after the slaughtering, to see and hear um, American students or foreign students in America going and vouching for Hamas and supporting Hamas, I'll tell you one thing, I have no patience for that. I think that they should be just not only marginalized and uh, isolated, I think there should be a, a, a real decisive uh, disciplinary measures against them. And if the universities do not take it upon themselves to do that, which is also morally reprehensible, then I would say it should be for the donors to withdraw all the money from, uh, uh, for, from their um, uh, for the donations for their endowment or whatever. And more importantly, it should be the government, state governments and the federal governments by legislation and enforcing this legislation, just like we have these laws against Nazis and against the accomplices of Nazis and supporters of Nazis. These guys, any manifestation of support today of Hamas should be outlawed and should be taken care of very, very decisively and swiftly. And this is what I would with my humble opinion, uh, call upon my brothers and sisters in the United States to do, to call on their um, congressmen and senators and anyone that we can speak of, and, and in the media as well, to go to Congress and start legislating and enforcing the legislation against uh, nothing less than anti-Semitism, anti-Zionism is anti-Semitism in in, in, in the campuses. And it's not just the students, it's also faculty. If we have a, an American professor teaching his students, you know, that uh, uh, to, uh, to uh, let's say, support Hamas 
if uh, they uh, reprimand Jewish or non-Jewish but Zionist or supporting uh, Zionist students, if they punish them or not giving them grades or uh, uh, ridicule them in class, they should be punished and ostracized. And I think this is a very, very high priority matter today. Yeah, it's going to be very difficult. It would, much easier in Europe, much easier in, in Canada. The laws of freedom of expression here are very difficult to thread the needle on what you're doing, um, what you're speaking of. And I'm thinking about it as you're speaking, um, because freedom of expression is one thing, but teaching and potentially inciting or discriminating against students because they have a particular point of view is where the, the universities could have a, a major foothold. Where they can't is they can't eliminate people's speech. And this becomes an interesting question. Challenges. Um, freedom of speech doesn't necessarily mean that uh, you have to agree with them. And so what happens is I don't understand why administrators or faculty are not saying we disagree with the students' organizations at Harvard. We disagree with what they said. They have the right to say it. But I don't think people actually realize just what they mean when they say, I'm supporting Hamas. I don't think that they really, I don't think feminists at, at Harvard realize what Hamas thinks about uh, women <laughs> or what they did to women and children in this terrible massacre. Because if they could, if they did, I can't imagine that that's the case. And like, I just don't understand or can't figure out how we can get that message out. And Israel is a major player in this. Obviously, Israel, firstly, you have the, you have the finances. You have, a, you have a, a, an important um, treasury. And this is a priority because, remember, this is the problem. This is the problem. These young students become adults. They become voters. They become leaders. They become senators. And if these people with their thoughts become senators, how are we going to solve that problem in the future? And that's why I'm asking you this question. So I think one of the first things we should do is to disseminate the manifesto, the credo of Hamas, everywhere, in the media, in the campuses. And it spells very, very, very precisely and simply to do away with the Jewish state. Kill all Jews. Just very simple. It's just stated there. And I think everyone should see and read it. And I would post it on every uh, uh, campus billboard just to do that. As, and then the, the, I would ask the, uh, the, the students, is this is what they support? Are they supporting uh, destroying the Jewish state? Are they supporting killing, killing Jews because they're Jews? Or are they supporting, you know, all this... Uh, beheading and, and these massacres that they're doing. And uh, also I would ask them if they support this slogan, which is so, I would say, carelessly being um, chanted in campuses by people, you know, by M Muslims, I can understand, Muslims and Palestinians, but Americans who are not Muslims, who have never even been in the area, and I'm not sure that they can point where Israel is on the map, but when they are chanting, from the river to the sea, Palestine will be free. What does it mean? Do they understand it means that this is the destruction of the Jewish state? So calling for a destruction of people, calling for a destruction uh, of a state, which basically is akin to genocide, this should be outlawed. So I'm sure, I mean, you have great legal minds over there to really find the right uh, frame 
of how to articulate it and how to legislate it, uh, that it will not be, um, let's say, that the freedom of speech will not be in the way of outlawing this criminal act. The hatred, exactly. I think that you've given us a lot of things to think about. You've helped us a lot. You'll continue to help because you are indeed a hero in many ways. You're out there on the front line uh, explaining to the world, not just defending Israel, but explaining to the world, to the people whose minds are opened, exactly what's going to happen. And those are the people that we really have to target. We're not going to convince people who hate the Jews not to hate Jews. We have to try to get people who can be convinced. And that was the real damaging factor in the, in the hospital, because the first message out was a devastating message to the Jewish people. I want to thank you so very much for your time. Hopefully you'll come back again for JBS to explain to our, our viewers more. And I want to wish you also tremendous success in what you're doing, because without it, we would be missing a tremendous element on, in the front in the battle uh, for Israel and the Jewish people. So thank you so very much. Ambassador Diane Ireland. Yes, thank you very much. I'll be happy to come on your show every time. It's very important. I really support JBS. Your word is important. And the more you speak, the better it is for all of us, Jews all over the world. Thank you again.